Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 26. Well, King David, well, he's not king yet, but David is still on the run. Saul is still chasing him. It's like life, isn't it? You know, stuff doesn't get tied up as neatly or as quickly as we would like it to. But chapter 26, verse 1 says that the Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding at the hill of Hecla, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph and his 3,000 select Israelite troops with him to search for David. And Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hikla, facing Jeshimon, but David stayed in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. So David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. And he saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army had laid down, and Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. So basically, you've got Saul and his captains and commanders in the middle. Everybody is camped around him, and then they've got guards all around. And the idea is that if somebody gets past the guards, somebody's going to wake up before they can get to the king and cause him harm. It's a security measure, right? And David said, and he asked uh, Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zariah, Job's brother, who will go down to the camp with me to Saul? <coughs> I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear struck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. So within the camp, there's where Saul's uh, sleeping and his guard and, and the commanders are sleeping all around him and his spear is, you know, plunged into the ground, standing upright, just right next to where he's sleeping. And Abishai said to David, today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of his spear. I won't strike him twice. And he's saying, by the way, David, I'll be merciful. I'm not going to make him suffer. It'll be quick and I will end it quickly. And his advice might make sense. Hey, He's been delivered in your hands. We've got past the guards. We've got past the troops. The 3,000 troops that came to get you. We have gotten past all of them. And we can take Saul out right here, right now. No more being hunted. We can kill him. We can flee in the confusion. And then who else will be left? You will be king. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or, or his time will come and he will die and he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now go and get the spear and the water jug that is near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. And no one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. So Abishai was reading the signs correctly. They had gotten there really easily. He was reading things right. That God had caused them to be able to get into the middle of the camp with no problems. 
you can read the signs correctly and be totally wrong in your analysis of the situation, in your application of, of what's happening. I, I believe this to be a fact. There are plenty of Christians who have read the signs correctly and, and gotten the application totally wrong. Um, there's a movie, it's, it's a divisive movie, um, Noah, uh, the, the Russell Crowe movie with uh, Emma Watson and Russell Crowe and um, uh, Darren uh, Fronsky made it. And it's a great movie for the first two acts, uh, questionable in the third act. But the, the third act, I don't think is great. Um, I, I mean, it's been out forever, so like, spoiler alert, there's a flood, right? But the, the third act, I think, is, isn't great, not because it's in a bad premise, but because I just don't think it's executed particularly well. But if you haven't seen the movie, basically in the third act, they have Noah acting not on what God told him to do, but what he assumes the implications of what God told him to do are. There's a difference, right? The first two acts, Noah acts directly on what God told him to do. In the third act, he says, God told me to do this, therefore that. And that's a different thing, right? This, therefore that is a different thing. God told me to do this, therefore that. Two different things. God let them into the camp divinely. Abishai's reading that right. What do you do when you get there? And David is saying, it's not for us to be the executioner. I won't take that on myself. I won't take the throne by violence and bloodshed. And David's right. He could have done it. He would have taken the throne. But because he didn't, the beginning of his rule was better. The beginning of his kingdom was better. There are shortcuts you can take and you will accomplish your goal, but it will cause problems. There are ways that seem right to us, but in the end lead to death. That's in the Bible. And there are things and there are times you can look around and say, I, I'm seeing all these things. I'm reading the tea leaves. I'm seeing what's happening. Abishai wasn't wrong. God brought them there but it wasn't to kill Saul. What was it for? So then David crossed over the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. That was smart. Uh, I mean, the abuse dynamic is a constant theme we are talking about in, uh, in, the, in the book of 1 Samuel. It was smart to have some distance. Saul is an abusive figure in David's life. Okay, smart to have some distance. David crossed over the other side, stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? So this is like in the morning. Everybody's kind of waking up. And that you imagine you're waking up. Everybody's kind of rubbing the sleep from their eyes. The king's like, hey, where's my spear? More importantly, where's my water? Because I'm thirsty. It's the morning. You know, I don't know about you. Like one of the first things I keep, I keep my water, uh, my water container uh, next to my bed. Reach over, get a drink of water. Where is it? And then you hear this voice calling out, Abner, are you going to answer me? And Abner replies, who are you who calls to the king? And David says, you are a man, aren't you? Who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord the King? Someone came to destroy your Lord the King. 
What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? So what David is is doing is he's calling out Abner for dereliction of duty. You might say, well, the Lord put him under a deep sleep. Yeah, Uh, point being, um, David's just saying, hey, Abner, this was your job. Uh, You had a responsibility. Now it says in verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and says, is that your voice, David, my son? And David replied, it is my Lord, the king. And then he added, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What am I, uh, what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my Lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, uh, people have done it, may they be accursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go and serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. So what David is saying is, if I've done something to you, tell me so that I can repent. If I've done something to you, Tell me so I can make it right. Can I get personal and say that this hits home? Because uh, last night I, I sent a text to somebody and I said this to them. I, I said, I don't know why you, this break in our relationship has happened. And I don't. I honestly have no idea. They've not responded to me. Nobody that you know. I, I, I told somebody this, I told the church this on a Sunday morning recently, you know, we were talking about divorce and I said, I'm going to share a bunch of stories uh, as examples, but I'm, I'm making sure that I, I know for a fact that no one in our church knows anyone I'm talking about. They don't live any, they don't even live in the same part of the country or the world. And I, I make a, a real strong point of that uh, on our podcast or anything like that. I, I never talk about people that anyone in our church or anyone who would reasonably be expected to listen to our podcast would know. So this is the same thing. I'm, I'm talking about somebody that nobody would know. But, but I, I texted them and said, I can't understand it. I don't know what's going on. What have I done? And, and honestly, this is hitting home with me. Because there are times where it's like this. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. What have I done? How can I make it right? And then what he's saying is, maybe, let me give, let me give the benefit of the doubt. There's nothing worse than somebody who has been given nowhere to go, than someone who has been given no escape route, somebody who feels desperate. So he's giving him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's been somebody who had it against me, somebody who felt like I took the place in your kingdom that they should have had, and they have been whispering in your ear. And they have, they have been the one to force me out, and so I've had to flee the land of Israel, the the place where God's people should be, the place where I, as a, a, a descendant of Abraham, speaking of King David, uh, should have my inheritance. And I've had to flee, and they would, they would have me go and live in the land of the foreigners, serve the pagan gods. They would have me die away from my people. And he says, I'm not anyone worth all of this effort. I'm a flea. You're, you're chasing a bird in the mountains. It's not important. What have I done? How can I, how can I make it right? And he's pointing out by saying, 
I, I have your spear in your water jug. I could have killed you. I could have killed you. And I didn't. And remember the cave where he could have killed Saul and he didn't. And how many times when he was serving the king in the court of the king's palace, could he have done something? Could he have plotted against the king and yet he didn't? This is what David is saying. He says, how have I wronged you? In what way have I been against you? And he says, Saul says, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and I've been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all my troubles. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. So Saul's trying to get him to come back. David's saying, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. You can have your spear back. I'm not stealing your stuff, but I'm not coming back with you. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, you know, I don't expect the, the text I sent to this, this former friend of mine. I don't know that I'll ever have restored relationship with this person. Um, I, I have great hope in heaven uh, that I will. I have great hope in heaven uh, that I will have restored relationship with them, that, that we will one day worship together and have unity and peace because of, of the, the work of Jesus. I don't know in this life that I will. And, and I'm not going to live in some kind of like broken or dysfunctional mess in the meantime. And that, that's what David's doing. He's not going to go back to the palace where, where Saul's just going to kill him again because that's what Saul has proven that he will do. This is kind of the best possible outcome. We spoke recently on a Sunday morning about forgiveness. And if you haven't heard that message, can I recommend that one to you? I don't often do this. Uh, I know that some people listen to one of our podcasts but not another. But I do recommend that one. Jesus has forgiven us everything. Jesus has forgiven us all of our sins. How can we hold sins against someone else? I want to seek forgiveness as much as possible with all people. And sometimes that's a process and it takes time. I admit it. Do I think David could have gotten to this place at the very beginning of this whole thing? Probably not. It probably took him some time. But we need, if at all possible, to seek peace and forgiveness with all people. It doesn't mean that we always are best friends with people, that we always have rest full restoration. That, that's not always how it works out. In fact, sometimes you're never in the same room with the person again. It, it, I, 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 I think I've been outspoken enough, especially on this podcast, about being against toxicity, about being against abuse, about fighting against systems of abuse in the church specifically, that I can say I am not in any way trying to hold up systems of abuse while at the same time saying, how do we find ways to find forgiveness and peace? David's not letting Saul off the hook. He's just saying, I won't be the executioner. 
Does that mean that someone shouldn't report someone to the police if there was, uh, you know, actual like, you know, sexual abuse or something like that? Of course not. Uh, that's not the same thing. What we're saying is, is, is that David was seeking peace and not seeking vengeance, which doesn't heal. It does not heal. So David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul, which is reasonable thinking. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. That's not reasonable thinking. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. I'm going to say this. Every time David tries to escape and leave and go there, it goes bad for him. I'm just going to point that out. Put that in the back of your pocket there and just hold on to that thought. So David and 600 men with him and left, and they went to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Remember who was from Gath? Goliath. Just remember that. David and his men uh, settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with them, and David had his two wives, uh, Hanoim of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. And when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Well, isn't David right? Isn't David right? Saul stopped searching for him? <laughs> Remember what we said at the beginning. Abishai, Abishai read it right. They'd gotten into the camp because God had allowed it. He read it wrong that he was supposed to kill Saul. David was right that if he left Israel and went to the Philistines, that he would you know, Saul would stop the pursuit. Every time before this, and we are going to see as we continue to study this, it did not go well for him leaving the land of promise. Uh, verse 5, Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I might live there. Why should your servant live in a royal city with you? So that day Achish gave Ziglag which had belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in the Philistine territory for a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the uh, Gersherites, the Gizrites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending from Shur to Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but he took the sheep, cattle, donkeys, and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. Now when Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of Jeremiel or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say this is what David did. This was, such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. And Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. Okay, so what David's doing is he's got this little town, Ziglag. He goes and he attacks these villages. He doesn't leave anybody alive. And then he tells Achish, oh, I went and attacked these rural Israelite towns. And Achish is like, the Israelites are going to hate this guy so much. He'll never be allowed back. So now I've got this fierce warrior. He's hated by his own people. He can never go home. And he's on my side if I ever need him. It's wonderful. And then you'll hear people say, oh, you, you know, the Bible's full of terrible things. It is. There's nowhere where, where God's condoning this. This is the history, the unblemished history of Israel. The history of the Bible is one of, of just human sin, saying, you know what, this isn't good, this isn't how it should have been, this is how it was. 
there, there are people who will say, you know, the Bible is just trying to, you know, tell you the best possible story. I don't think so. I actually, it's one of the reasons I trust the Bible so much. It's because the Bible is full of the foolishness of people. The Bible is full of humans screwing up. The Bible is full of humans doing dumb things. The wrong place, the wrong time for the wrong reasons. David shouldn't have done any of these things. In in chapter 26, David has a victory. In chapter 27, he has a great failure. And we'll see next week. It's to his cost and to his detriment. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are available. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.